Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the wolf of South Jersey. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? <laughs> Benjamin, how are we today? We're good. I just watched a video of that guy from Wolf of Wall Street yeah. explaining what he meant by sell me the pen. Sell me the sell pen. You, sell you the pen thing. Oh, I got to tell you, though, I, every time I watch something like that, I quickly realize sales would not be for me. Oh, it, it's I'd walk now. away from most doors going like, hey, sorry I bothered you. All right. <laughs> sorry. Sorry to bother you with with my silly thing. Your time is more valuable. Have a good day. <laughs> and even if you are successful, you still feel that way because it's really you're going up to everybody with your tail between your legs. But Benny, today I am not coming at you with your tail between the legs because me and the Internet have defeated America. What? That's right. Tell me how. Your boy. Hold on. Hold on. Let me let me <laughs> let me look as rich as I feel right now. Let me. Oh, for those of you watching at home. Yes, I think that you should have <gasps> now addressed me as Dennis okay. as I have my cardigan and my glasses on, though oh, I realize that I like the this. ring light does me no favors. But Benjamin, this past week, me and a bunch of Redditors defeated capitalism in sure an did. act of pure insanity. Uh, cashing in all of my former GameStop gift cards for stock options, and we are off to the moon, and it's so long, Jersey City. Hello, Miami Beach. Yes. So what's your uh, what's your first step as a, as a gazillionaire? Like, what do you do? Well, first off, I'm, as soon as we get off this Zoom call, I'm getting on another Zoom call with Jeff Bezos. I'm going to be like, mm -hmm. how do you be as evil as possible, and how do you not pay your workers exactly what they deserve? Teach me all of your secrets, because I feel like we're only going up from here. Teach me how to exploit, Te Jeff, Teach me how please. to exploit it. Teach me how to exploit <laughs> Feed me some baby's blood, will you? <laughs> I'm just trying to put out as many clips so that whatever employers in the future want to touch this and these assets are like, this guy's part of the Illuminati, making sure that I never end up in the Fox News quadrant of everything. So that's, that's right. Get him that, on board. So that's my goal. Though, Benny, I'm a little bit concerned because as I, you know, this is the first thing I realized that rich people do. We carry whiteboards around. We carry them around with ideas. So Just to explain, just so you can mansplain when exactly. the time comes. So it's been up here, and now it's like right down there. So I'm a little worried, but you know, by the end of this podcast, I'm sure we'll be back up around $300. So it's great. It, it, it's great. Anyway, Benny, do you want to get into this day of music history? Let's do All it. Right, cool. Yeah, let's do it. Do, 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 do. So, on this day in 1996, at the AMAs, Dick Clark's American Music Awards, Garth Brooks was announced as the favorite artist of the year, beating out the likes of Boys to Men, Green Day, TLC, and Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh, I love Hootie. But Garth Brooks wouldn't accept the award, and he told the crowd that he didn't think he deserved to win it, and Hootie and the Blowfish did. Hmm. Not your usual... Uh, rock star move yeah he was quoted by saying uh in quotes the retailers had told him that uh it was hootie and the blowfish records that were keeping the doors open that year selling records and bringing people in and that just wouldn't be right if he took it and hootie and the blowfish didn't he also won three other awards that night being <laughs> like country awards and song awards so you know i'm sure he realized how good it looked but the caveat to this story right yeah. And I think this is a theme of this episode, right? Is that like all stories of nobility, <laughs> there are faults. And in a recent radio interview, Darius Rucker, 
of Hootie and the Blowfish <laughs> expressed a story where he was fairly recently on the phone with Garth. Rucker had asked him where that award was, and Garth Brooks said, it's on my mantle. Oh. So even though he rejected it, the AMAs kept it for him, and someone, either him or a handler, picked it up, and it still wound up on his mantle. So I got to say, once you know the culmination of that story, does it does it uh, really truly besmirch the original effort? Is the original effort all for naught since you accepted the award? Well, I'm just going to say this, and I think we started to touch on this last week but didn't quite get there. Garth Brooks, what a fraud. This dude wants to play both sides of the aisle like this. And normally, we, you know, we want unity and stuff like that. But this dude doesn't mean a damn thing. It's I was joking before, but for Garth, it's all about the pockets and being nice and getting people in the seats. Garth, man, tough look for you. Tough look Bad for you. Look. You know what he should have done? He should have sold it, donated that money to charity. That's what Garth That's Brooks right. should have done. That's right. Mine is, on this day in 1969, Fleetwood Mac had their only UK number one signal with the instrumental song Albatross, which was composed by Peter Green. And, you know, I heard an interesting story about the early start of Fleetwood Mac the other day. Uh, Mick Fleetwood was on Alec Baldwin's podcast, and he was talking mm-hmm. about how when the band started, Peter Green, kind of a, you know, you want to talk about noble musicians like we were trying to oh, do yeah. with Garth Brooks. This dude didn't want to name it after himself he because he wanted it to be a gift to the guys having Fleetwood and Max so that like if he ever wanted to leave and pursue other projects, it's something that they could possibly own. The thing that, you know, he still received royalties and, and, and all the money from that, but at least yeah. in name alone and in principle, they had that. So that's pretty cool. The beginning of Fleetwood Mac is a fascinating story to me. Yeah, and Peter Green, I mean... A lot of people think Fleetwood Mac is rumors, and they forget that there's a uh, a huge catalog of music before that that's uh, almost undecipherable to mm. someone who only knows rumors. Yeah. You would barely even know it's the same group, <laughs> super deep. Uh, and there are a lot of like quirky, weird Peter Green fans out there, Ian Perkins being one of them, mm. who claims that these are the finest Fleetwood Mac albums and not the likes of rumors. So if you're someone who likes to get down a little bit and get deep, you should dig into uh, Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac. It's definitely a much different ride. True story. In college, I worked on a uh, student body political campaign for a fake <laughs> candidate that we were pushing. And his name, none other than Peter Green. Is that right? Did Needless he win? to say, we did not qualify for the election, but man, the parties were legendary. <laughs> what was the name of the party you ran under? It was the Green Party. Ah, there you go. <laughs> All right, man, first headline today, GameStop's been in the news. And no, it's not because everyone's trying to uh, get rid of their gift cards before the brand goes under. It's actually about the stock. In this past week, a bunch of Redditors found out that a venture capital fund uh, was trying to short the company stock. And they got together and bought a bunch of the stock. Price goes way up. The Redditors win. Wall Street loses. Benny, a great day, but there's an NBA tie-in to this, okay? And I want to, you know, i got to give full credit where credit's due. I did not realize this, but uh, people a lot smarter than us, Tom Habistro, uh, mm-hmm. Pablo Torre at ESPN, uh, did some digging, and they found out, boy, the NBA governorship is divided. It's a big reason why we're talking about this today. 
So it turns Michael out... Michael Jordan hates Reddit. Oh, it hates it. <laughs> As if the memes weren't bad enough. I so know. here's how the NBA is involved in this. The guy that runs Melvin Capital, which was the hedge fund that was trying to short GameStop, um, the guy that runs it, his name is Gabe Plotkin, and he, in 2019, became a minority owner of the Charlotte Hornets. Now, this, you know, we've seen a bunch of people go this route to try to be full-fledged owners of, of a team. You know, they buy a minority ownership. They gain more and more over time. So Plotkin, who is angling to buy the Hornets from MJ, uh, made this big bet against GameStop here, okay? Right. And essentially, uh, when the Redditors did their thing, made the price go way up, his short resulted in a $2.75 billion loss for him, which is catastrophic if you're a VC and stuff like that. So I love the idea that Wall Street is out here bending the knee to Reddit. Um, Benny, but what do you make of, of this NBA tie? Plotkin, famously a guy who vowed to keep the Hornets in Charlotte. Just a real interesting situation. And now Michael Jordan, who put a lot of his money into the Hornets, kind of looking for this escape hatch, may be in trouble here. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the NBA tie ties in with the overall point for me, which is, you know, the larger part of this story is obviously the direct action taken on by the Redditors in this. I mean, the funniest part about it almost being, I think, like, ironic direct action. Because these aren't people who really think GameStop should stay open. (laughs) The people at Reddit are downloading their games just like anyone else. But... They spent the 90s in there, like buying Final Fantasy and doing the test machines and checking out the used games and selling old controllers. And they just have this like feeling of nostalgia for GameStop. So I love doubly that this wasn't some like savvy tech. This came from the heart. Yeah. These people love GameStop. (laughs) They really do. And, And even though it was kind of funny and ironic. Like, like that's almost a, a funny twist to this to me is that that it was done out of love. Yeah. It was done out of love. Now, the thing I'm not going to do is feel bad for a hedge fund who decided to stake its primary position <laughs> on the capitalization of a failing franchise set to lay off how many thousands of people yeah. across the U.S. and them to capitalize on it. Like the very function that that model exists and that you can play that game, and more often than not, you make a shit ton of money on that game, is another uh, flag to the fact that we're working in a rigged system. And this is just one of the times they got had. So a bunch of people figured out a way to fuck you. You weren't smart enough to get out early enough. Sorry. Yeah. Like, as usual, it's always the, hey, it's only business. The smartest guy wins. You know, I deserve my $13 million, like, christmas bonus because i'm smart and that's the reason this company made money you know it's always the uh when they're profiting off of it sure that's the way it is but when a bunch of fucking dickheads on reddit (laughs) decide to profit on it oh they're colluding they're doing this no they just got you (laughs) yeah they got you it's a rigged system dog and they got you Mm. and only once so spare me the fucking whining yeah you know um now I say it's a rigged one because you'd be surprised to know, Denny. Mm. I know a thing or two about stocks, okay? That doesn't surprise me one bit. I play. <laughs> oh, I mess around. I dabble. I dabble. I know what's going on. 
I checked out the GameStop stock. <laughs> now, the thing about this, especially that doubles down on the fact that I don't feel bad, is it this stock was consistently for for a couple years under twenty dollars, yeah. and on January eleventh, it was under twenty dollars. Mm. It took until January twentieth for this stock to double with a couple bumps along the way. So if the people holding this stock didn't realize something was at play that first nine days where inexplicably GameStop stock is doubling out of nowhere, then, like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know what I mean? Where's all your analysts? Where's all your degrees? Where's all your <laughs> stuff? If you don't realize a bunch of kids on Reddit are fucking with you for nine days. Yeah. This shit goes minute by minute, you know? Like, yeah. I see these reports that come out all the time. So, again, they got beat. Now, from the 21st to the 26th, they got it from about $40 to $400. That's insane. And I'm assuming yeah. that's when these hedge funds <laughs> uh, really got screwed. But again, your fault. Yeah. Like So much for your analysts. This is the game that essentially you created. You rigged to your benefit. Someone else made a little sorry. And to top it off, <laughs> uh, as you said with the NBA angle, is your buddy here from the venture capital firm who's now part of the right, uh, Gabe. Charlotte Hornets ownership went and just said, Hey, Steve Cohen, my buddy who <laughs> owns another hedge fund worth X amount of billions of dollars. Can you throw me two and a half billion in capital just to keep this all afloat? So we, so we can be okay this year. <laughs> oh, sure. Here it is. No problem. Here's a little loan for my company. So you don't have to default while like small businesses all over America are just fucking crumbling. And these people can offer, Two and a half billion dollar loans to their rich ass friends so their lives can continue as they are. I don't feel bad. I hope uh, somebody out there who didn't come from all this shit made a ton of money. Mm. And, and God bless you. By the way, a little fun fact here. Did you do I know what Gabe Plotkin's nickname is? What he's known about in these billionaire streets? Oh, it's probably something horrible. What, like Nighthawk? Or no, something. no, 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 no. People refer to him as the Luka Doncic of, of hedge fund managers. Oh, Jesus. Luka would never do this. You never, never call him this. that again. No, no. <laughs> in, is, fact, in fact, it got is, so bad. Mark Cuban went on CNBC this morning and applauded the Redditors because he was like, you want to know something? It's a free system. And, right. you know, if... if if you want to brag about the American dream and everything like that, this is what could happen in the American dream. So I think that this was a great thing that happened. And it didn't make the market volatile. Other things do that. Political action and all of that stuff do that. It's one stock. Get over it, people. It's not going to affect your portfolios. And if you're banking your retirement on GameStop before <laughs> exactly. this, I got a lot of questions for you already. Yeah, yeah, no shit. And then the last thing that I found very interesting about this, so when a lot of these people shifted, you know, from GameStop, they switched to AMC uh, mm. to try to bail out this company. And you want to know who uh, the the current CEO of AMC, who's you know they they've had a rocky couple of years. Was it like Ja Rule or something? No, it's a former CEO of the Sixers that hired Sam Hankey. Oh, so is you know this there is a war of attrition between these governors in the nba there are the guys that truly believe in the free market and then there's this billionaire tech club and quite frankly it, 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 it's gonna be interesting because i could see a situation it's one thing to mess with their team but when you start messing with their money and you want to get a trade done or anything or a revenue sharing split differently or relief on the luxury tax 
and you fuck these guys in one aspect, and it comes back to bite you the other way. Oh, this is going to be a fascinating watch going forward. <laughs> All right, Benny, so we have actual basketball to talk about. Thank you, everybody, for humoring me. I fucking loved this story. This, like, I was, I've, I've been all over this. Oh, Benny, by the way, I'm down to $200, not sweating yet. <laughs> going to go grab my inhaler during our next commercial break. Um, I'm slowly having the furs sent back. Um, all of that stuff. But we actually had basketball to talk about. And I want to talk about Bradley Beal and the situation we have going on in Washington. The guy has 10 games this season, scoring 40 points that have been losses. That's tough. You know, and, and we're going to talk about this a bunch today because we're going to talk about the Sean Watson coming up. But Bradley Beal in a really tough situation, and I talked about it last week, how the war, uh, how the Wizards are this team to, to look at when it comes to the buyout market and, and the trade deadline. So actually this last week, going to ask you this again. Do you think that we could see Bradley Beal on the market? I'm just having a hard time uh, finding a team that would put together a nice package for him. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a couple things to unpack with Beal here. Yeah, first off, uh, he's dealt with a whole lot of losing. Yeah. A whole lot over a number of years. Uh, the big offseason move of bringing Russ in. I believe the Wizards are 1-8 and eight this season when Russell Westbrook starts. Yeah. He really looks bad. Um, you know, I don't know where you go with that. You know, if you asked me at the beginning of the season, I would have told you they had enough meat on the roster between uh, Maritz Wagner, Bertans, Troy Brown, Rui Hachimura, you know, some some good, interesting young pieces to go around Beal. So the one thing uh, to consider is the fact that that group of people has not really played for the Wizards. Yeah. And that's not to say that Bradley Beal is dealing with a championship roster here. Uh, and at any point did I expect the Wizards to compete for a championship. But the things that happened to that team with COVID, with injuries, and the way it's looked in the last few weeks, it's definitely easy to make it the flag of despair, but forget that they had some bad luck and other teams have had some good luck. Mm. Something to consider with that as well is the fact that Bradley Beal's never said he wants to get traded yet. This is all expectation still. You know, it's on the, it's on the assumption that he's going to follow in the path of all these other people saying, obviously this is a pit of a situation. Obviously this team couldn't compete for a championship within the next few years, you know, the way it's designed. So of course a guy like Bradley Beal is going to use his uh, player value. Like so many others have recently, you know, a la Anthony Davis and, you know, most recently old Beardo, um, and you can make a argument that Beal will get or should deserve the same type of package both of those players yeah. got. I mean, the guy's elite. Yeah, I'm comfortable saying mm-hmm. that now. You know, now that Wall's out of the picture, this is a true franchise player. He doesn't miss games. He played all 82 games through 2017 to 2019. He played 164 straight games. He's uh, averaged over 25 points a game the last three seasons currently leading this season over 35 points a game. Obviously, some of that's just due to massive usage numbers since he's <laughs> the only guy out there. But he's shooting at a high clip, a high enough clip where it's respectable. Uh, he's turned into an 80% free throw shooter. He's good for a steal a game. He can handle. He knows how to run offense. He's just a great two-way all-star player who um, 
hey, I mean, a number of these teams would salivate over. But right. as you mentioned, anybody with uh, the assets to do it took themselves out of the picture using all those assets to get somebody else already. Um, there's not an obvious landing spot. And uh, because he hasn't really mentioned anything, you know, I think we might have to just stick with <laughs> this for a while and see yeah. what happens. But uh, I think the idea that um, he should leave, it would be fun for the league if he did. Sure. But maybe he's uh, maybe he just likes pain. Some people <laughs> do. And maybe he likes getting 26 shots a game and yeah. showing people he can score 35 a night. So we're not sure what he's going to do because we're not him. But the uh, situation is certainly ripe for everything you're talking about. And the funny thing is, his girlfriend seems to like tweeting about other cities that Bradley could play in. But he he hasn't said so much. So I think she's kind of a conduit. You know, she's tweeted about Miami. She's tweeted about Los Angeles. But honestly, this girl should be talking and tweeting about Portland. Because I think they actually kind of do. They're one of the few teams over the next few years that has picks to trade. Uh, CJ McCollum, you you know, I know that he's like a blazer for life, but when you have the opportunity to get one of the best and a, a, a guy with a huge ceiling, I think you absolutely make that trade. I, I think that they could throw Nurk in there to make that interesting. I think Nurk has not this year, but the year after his deal expires. So I think Portland is is a team that could do it. Now, the interesting conversation there is, is Beal a upgrade over McCollum? Uh, I think sure. when they're both at their best, I'd rather have, have Bradley Beal. But then the Wizards getting back CJ McCollum, that's not a bad haul for you know a, a guy like Bradley Beal um, if you want to give him that opportunity. I think the thing with the Wizards here is like ask yourself that question. You make that trade. Yeah. You give up the heart of the team, McCollum, Nurkic, people you know, uh, brought up by the Blazers. Yeah. Um, you probably decimate yourself with a couple picks going out the door too to put together what Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal, which sure that's a nice combination. But as you said, is that enough of an upgrade over what you have? And that doesn't be taking away roster depth to compete with the Clippers or the Lakers. Nah, probably not. So, you know, I'm not sure exactly how low of a number the Wizards would have to get to for the Blazers to want to do that deal. But yeah. they'd probably have to get down to a desperation move. Which yeah. Beal's, again, Beal hasn't... Give this eye credit. He does press conferences every night. And he, you know, with the exception of saying, I'm sad, I don't like losing, losing yeah. sucks, sure. He's never said anything like that. And, uh, you know... I don't want to put words into his mouth. The last thing I'm going to do at 40 years old <laughs> is try to decipher his girlfriend's Twitter for answers. I'm not a fucking leave that to uh, me. Leave that yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, you can you can take on those riddles. <laughs> oh man, no, but I mean, I just think it's it's a tough spot because the Wizards. I don't think they're going to trade him to the Eastern Conference. So I think you know, and any of the teams that are really in the Eastern Conference that can make a play for him, I don't think that they would trade him to Miami, even though. Heat fans seem to think that every upcoming free... Heat fans are just as bad as Knicks fans. But that's another tangent for another day. The thing that I want to get into here, and I think the reason why a lot of people are talking about this, 
We need to stop taking screen grabs from these games and making them memes of these guys. Yeah. Okay, so like the, the reason why people are talking about it is not because he put up 40 again and they lost. It's because the picture of him sprawled out on the bench after going for 40, being exhausted. Mm-hmm. Anybody's going to look pissed if they're that tired. I mean, you see anybody after, after gym, they're like, man. So it's just like, let's stop making memes of screenshots. I don't think that's too much to ask. I mean, it's not going to stop. <laughs> You're right. And more than likely within the next five years, it's actually probably going to be like altered where you, you don't even know if he's sad or happy or, <laughs> you know, depending on which news organization you follow is going to be whether Bradley Beal was smiling or not. So uh, it's definitely not going to stop. And uh, all we could do as consumers and podcast hosts <laughs> is uh, stop talking about it. And I manifested that so poorly because I know people are going to go back through the archives in the future and make memes of all of the, all of whatever we're doing here. There's there, there, uh, yeah. there's going to be memes, sure. of it. so that's a huge problem. We're going to move from one media-inspired disgruntled star to a guy that actually is unhappy and An requested a trade. Deshaun Watson. Yes, we're talking football again. Two weeks in a row. Woo-hoo. Easy there. Um, he wants out of Houston. He wants a trade. You know, there's been a lot of talk about potential destinations. Uh, the Jets have been in the mix. Miami has been in in the mix. Houston, to me, from way outside perspective, just seems kind of kind of like one of those franchises that does not know what they're doing. Uh, you know, we've seen them time and time again get fleeced in deals like this, let talent walk out the window. So what do you make of this situation, and where do you think Deshaun Watson could end up? What I make of the situation is what you just said. It's a, it's a consistent pattern of poor management from the Houston Texans. Now, like, I, I really... So, so Deshaun Watson's big gripe is the fact that they went ahead and hired a general manager, and he was neither consulted about the decision or the candidates that he endorsed were uh, ignored by the franchise. And additionally, the Texans did not inform uh, Deshaun that they entire, uh, intended to hire Nick Cesario. He found out about it on social media. Uh-uh. And that contributed to you know him going on Twitter and feeling some sort of way that night and posting something. Now, I think, like I said, I was going to be Hugo Chavez in this episode, <laughs> and this is another reason why. But it's like the thing that this seems to be to me is this old school, archaic kind of thinking, which is like this huge separation between front office and player, you know, uh, server and servant and people need to stay on their appropriate side of the aisle we handle the business you go out there and play keep your body good you know this and that and it's just bad business Mm. it's your franchise star it's the face of the team it's coming off an amazing season just offered to pay the guy 150 million dollars so your bottom line thinking doesn't make any sense you bend a little you take the time. You don't be an asshole. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Nick Cesario yeah. wasn't going to be there two days after <laughs> he was for the hire in case you just jumped on him right away and you couldn't interview a couple of Sean Watson's guys, get him in the door, at least show some face, show that you're trying, keep your uh, pro ball quarterback happy. It's not like these guys grow off trees. Right. You know, it, 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 I watched the Texans 
suffer through years of like Matt Schaub <laughs> and, and all these other guys Derek trying Carr, to yeah. get exactly who they have in the door. And then you got to pull this shit. So uh, I think Deshaun Watson has every right to be upset. And I think, again, the cool thing about this modern age is, uh, you know, if this was just the old school big newspapers reporting on on this the following morning, all you'd be hearing about is a guy who got paid $150 million being disgruntled and and said that he's, uh, you know, um, it doesn't deserve this money and he doesn't realize what he has, blah, blah, blah. But I like this day and age because you can actually see the other side of the story and the way these people are conducting themselves. And you know what? Like it or not, like this is the name of the game now. You get a guy like this in board, like no one knows who fucking Nick Cesario is. (laughs) No one knows who the person who hired Nick Cesario (laughs) is. The fans care about fucking Deshaun Watson. And you do what you can to keep that guy happy. So this sounds like another bad business decision and another fallout of this bizarre, like, they already fucked up with DeAndre Hopkins. You know, mm. I'm not saying that trade was wrong, but uh, again, you you traded away the guy's favorite wide receiver and his target the year before without telling him his and cons- without yeah. saying what you were planning on doing. And then this. So I, uh, I don't blame the guy for being pissed. Both that being sides. said, the Texans own his rights. Mm. They don't have to trade him. Yeah. They, you know, and the, the lengths Deshaun Watson would have to go to not play on that contract would be really, really severe. So uh, I would give this like a week or two to maybe cool off. Yeah. The, I have a feeling somebody might be able to make some calls hmm. and cooler heads may be able to prevail on this one. No, it's definitely interesting how, you know, the social landscape and guys being able to get their message out there on their own uh, through social media, through various media outlets has has really shifted. And I think, you know, you brought up an interesting point about uh, the newspaper reporting, you know, the guy, the $150 million man wants more, blah, 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 blah. It is so much more important in modern reporting to have those sources with the agents and the players rather than with the front office. Don't get me wrong. You want to have it within the front office. That's very important too. But a lot of these interview requests that you want don't go through the team PRs if you want the most direct access. They go through the agents. So, And you're starting to see, or not starting, you are seeing stories written more in that vein And I think that's what's helped create the player empowerment movement. Now, we've never really seen this successfully in the NFL like Deshaun's trying to do. And and if he could get into the right situation, this could change everything. And this is what the NFL owners are scared about because you always see in certain veins Mm. of sports talk where they talk about the NBA running the asylum and that would never happen in the NFL well, if Deshaun Watson gets to a contender and is playing in the Super Bowl within the next two years, this is what you're going to see. And unfortunately, uh, you know, less guys can do this in the NFL because a lot less guys have that kind of control of the franchise. But franchise quarterbacks are so valuable, which, you know, that's a whole other conversation about what's valuable in football for a different day. But to see the way that they're going about this is wonderful, and I, and I love what Deshaun Watson's doing here. He's he, he's on the verge of getting his money. Now go try to enhance your legacy, especially if Houston's not going to help you out with that. 
It's the LeBron James model. Love it. He, and he, and but the sad thing is, it's like it's always the same people who get left in the lurch. Mm. It's always the fans, you know. Like the fans are the ones who like and the dedicate teammates. themselves to Deshaun Watson and buy his jerseys and expect them. And Deshaun Watson goes out in the community and does all this outreach stuff, and he's mm. like the man of Houston. And you know, before you know it, these people who are these huge fans who invested so much in somebody are just going to get it. Uh, taken away by bad business you know so that's where uh these these corporations they got they got the fans really by the short and curlies you know yeah and i mean you're seeing a lot less people that are becoming sports fans root for teams because you know that's it's kind of antiquated just to root for one team especially it's like if if you're a franchise right every couple years you have a new head coach every couple years you have a new gm and a whole new team guys aren't sticking around for 10 years so there's nothing to get attached to so it's just you said the fans i actually feel worse for the teammates because now you're going to have like a will fuller who's going to be like the nfl's answer to kevin love just out here in a situation where he's not winning but he's getting big numbers and that's tough that's tough you know yeah for sure all right benny final headline today you know, in the 1950s, Sun Records was one of the leading brands in rock and roll, uh, giving us such names as Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis, and a bunch of others, really inventing an, an entire genre, really. Well, this past week, their entire catalog was sold to a New York independent music company called Primary Wave Music. So, Benny, you know, you, you've explained this before on the pod, how when people get older, this is just the easier way to go about making money. Well, I mean, I, I think it, it stays in line with, with what we've been seeing consistently. I mean, there's obviously this wave in the music industry of, uh, I don't know, essentially asset collection. Mm. You know, people are taking what uh, used to be assets that were monetized in a certain way and they're finding these new models to monetize them and trying to secure as many of these assets as possible. I mean, it's essentially truly, truly going to be the end of uh, the demise of the record label uh, doing this. I was surprised Sun Records only got $30 million, yeah. which was only one-tenth of Bob Dylan's haul. But mm. uh, some of the, the Elvis catalog uh, belongs to Sony and mm. was not part of the Sun Records haul. So it's mostly some older Johnny Cash stuff, Jerry Lee Lewis. Um, now, Primary Wave has uh, apparently been one of the most aggressive buyers in the space. You know, they have a strategy of promoting it through branding deals and entertainment tie-ins. They have uh, songs by Stevie Nicks, Smokey Robinson, Burt Bacharach, Bob Marley. It owns half of the Whitney Houston estate. So this company, whoever the hell it is, has been super active uh, securing these things and trying to capitalize on these assets. Now, at first, I was pretty bummed out because the Sun Records story is pretty punk rock. Mm. You know, Sam Phillips had a storefront in Memphis that he decided to like convert to a recording studio and kind of, in a happenstance way, sort of kind of ran into and developed what wound up being some of the most influential early rock musicians, blues musicians in history. Um, There were even records that came out of there that people um, say might have essentially invented rock and roll. These early records with uh, Ike Turner's band on them. So um, 
you know, it seemed like a real bummer. I've been to Sun Records. Mm. I've toured that studio and seen it. Like, it's so fucking cool to see. And I hope that they keep the original thing in Memphis open. But I was quickly uh, not as upset realizing that Sam Phillips had sold it in 1969. Mm. Um, he'd sold it to another uh, uh, another company who moved its operations to Nashville and started reissuing and licensing it. And then that person died in 2009 and his brother took over the catalog and his brother is now 80 years old. He's not Sam Phillips. He's not, you know, someone who had anything to do with Sun Records. He's just someone who kind of is 80 years old up and wound up with this crazy asset with nobody in his family to take it over afterwards. So it's kind of the same scenario as the Bob Dylan thing. It's the new name of the game. It's uh cash in before you're dead and they just take it from you because yeah. that's what's going to happen to these assets after you pass away. So I think um, things are getting so convoluted and complicated in this space that where someone used to get maybe a few requests a year for very particular things and it was sort of a brick and mortar pen on paper approach to doing it. And now, you know, I can't imagine how many hundreds to thousands of requests like great balls of fire gets yeah. for random ad opportunities throughout the world and these weird trickling scents of money coming in from thousands of different places the industry changed on people and these you know hedge funds uh, essentially hmm. like primary wave or are um they're the ones who have figured out this new model for now yeah. um the only thing uh, that's that's troublesome about it is like what, when and where does this end? And, you know, at the very least, when you had a record label, part of the time you had a relationship, mm. you know, you'd have this label and this band and five records in a row would come out in the same thing, which would mean that, you know, someone from this label and someone from this band were connecting over many years and like, I think there was the potential to even have a creative partnership with the label. And I think that potential is probably just totally going away. I don't, I really don't know what these companies are going to do at this point. I mean, you asked where, where this ends. I mean, unfortunately, and I think that we really have to change the way we do this in, in this country, but a public domain for a lot of, you know, publishing products, you know, Great Gatsby within the next year becomes public domain. Same. A lot of these classic works that that are just getting to their statute of, of limitation. So within our lifetime, we're gonna see a lot of these songs from like like the sixties, seventies, and maybe oh, even yeah. e even eighties just become public domain. And that's just that's heartbreaking because it's like yes, yeah, it's like good for people that are trying to be creative and like do projects and stuff like that. But it's like. No, these songs mean something. These songs have value to people, and it just can't go the same route of like like Beethoven's Ninth, where you can just play it on any old thing. yeah. Like like it loses its its value if you do that almost sure. immediately. So it's like we, it's, we want to talk about generational wealth and in sports all all the time. Keep this going for generations. Like this doesn't seem fair at all. Oh uh, no, and I think you're highlighting something. Uh, like we talked about in the earlier segment about GameStop is mm. like sometimes people smaller than the system wake up to realize they're in a rig system hmm. and the music industry and the way creative rights have been protected 
have been altered so much through the years that by the time you get into the thing and you realize what the hell is going on, you're like, wow, I chose the worst business to be in <laughs> because there is no other uh, commodity on the planet that is maybe less protected than this. You could yeah. literally make Tupperware. <laughs> and if you go through the right channels to make sure you're the only one who made that Tupperware, it's your Tupperware for life yeah. in perpetuity, <laughs> you know, and for some reason, the, the big wigs, well, not for some reason, it's an obvious reason, you know, the people on the top of this thing have been draining the creative side out of it for years where, you know, you're just leaving people with no other option but to uh, but to take care of themselves somehow. And that's why I think you're seeing this huge rush and people uh, self-releasing. And it's not about hating record labels. It's about owning your masters. Yeah. That's all it's about. And the, the reason people keep self-releasing albums now is the fact that you can retain the rights to your music for at least X amount of time. Uh, so that's the new name of the game. It's it's not just who makes it anymore. It's who controls it. Well, fortunately, we control this podcast, even though it's worth right. nothing. Even <laughs> Oh, Benny, by the way, we're, we're a couple we're, shekels. I've lost everything in GameStop. It's over. Lost the house. It's over. (laughs) If you want to send me stock tips, send them at the tuneup podcast at gmail.com. Tweet at us, DM us everything at the tuneup HQ on Twitter and Instagram. Subscribe on YouTube at the tuneup podcast. If you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz one on Twitter. Number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Everybody love everybody, but. Eat the rich, dog. Happy 96th birthday, Grandma. You've been listening to the tune-up.